Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. Welcome to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. To mask or not to mask? That's the fight playing out right now between Florida school districts and Governor Ron DeSantis. Doctors and public health experts say masks are needed to slow the spread of COVID-19 among children, many of whom are not old enough to get a vaccine. But DeSantis insists mask wearing should be a personal issue left up to parents. He's issued an executive order that prevents school districts from requiring face coverings. But a few Florida school systems are defying that order, and they're challenging the governor's policy in court. It's the latest example of a Republican-controlled state government that's at odds with local officials, mainly Democrats. Today, we'll get an update on the legal fight over masks, and we'll explore the broad issues of state preemption. First up, I speak with Jessica Bankman. She's an education reporter at WLRN in Miami. All right, Jessica, so starting off, just in general, where are we with this dispute over mask mandates in Florida's schools? Well, as you know, you know, school districts around the state have already started opening. Uh, the remainder will continue opening this week and next week. And so we kind of have a um, situation where some school districts are just kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. They've gone forward with a opt-out policy, which is consistent with, you know, the executive order that Governor Ron DeSantis uh, issued and then the rules that were followed up by that from the Department of Education, the Department of Health. Um, so, and then there are some school districts that have decided to fight it. We know that Alachua County, which is where the University of Florida is based, and also Broward County, which is the second largest district in the state, have both uh, planned to go forward with a strong mask mandate um, that allows for, you know, medical exemptions, uh, which has already been the case for many of these school districts. Obviously, there are some medical conditions that, you know, where you'd have a legitimate um, need to not wear a mask versus just the choice of a parent to that they don't want their, their child to wear a mask. So a couple of districts are moving forward challenging it. The State Board of Education is going to respond and... Um, also, there are some lawsuits that are working their way through the courts. So I think it's very much still a live question as to whether this executive order is going to stand. You mentioned lawsuits. There's one that's playing out in, in Leon County that was filed by some parents. And it might be a case that where we don't get a decision for a while, right? What's going on with that case? Yeah, so this particular case, it was filed in state court in Leon County, but the parents are from all over the state. Um, and actually, the lead attorney is in St. Pete. And that case, basically, they were asking for an emergency injunction that would block uh, DeSantis's executive order banning mask mandates from going into effect until, you know, the court could decide on the substantive issues of the case. 
And so I know that the parents were hoping that that was going to come through um, sooner rather than later so that some of these school districts like Broward and Miami-Dade, which have not yet opened, you know, wouldn't open until after that that injunction was in place. Um, That's not working out exactly as they'd hoped. However, the judge does say that he intends to make decisions about this relatively quickly. So they basically have a schedule worked out right now where they're going to deal with some of the more procedural legal stuff early this week. So that's like the state is going to ask to dismiss the case. And then the plaintiffs will have a chance to respond. And then the judge plans to rule on Thursday verbally during a hearing whether to dismiss the case. And if he doesn't dismiss it, if it moves forward, then they'll be hearing evidence um, on Monday, the following Monday morning, August 23rd. So it is moving pretty quickly. um, But I think regardless of what happens in the state court, it will be appealed. So We'll see what the judge decides regarding an injunction and and if that has any effect on what happens in schools in the like immediate term. And, you know, otherwise, as any court case works through the process, it could be months before we really have a final answer. You mentioned Alachua and Broward have adopted policies that essentially go against the governor's order. I remember here in Hillsborough County, the school board kind of talked it through a little bit about whether or not they should take that same tack. And, and there was concerns about kind of poking the beast a little bit, right, uh, because the state could withhold funding or they could you know, do other things to the school district. So why have certain school districts been more willing to take on Governor DeSantis and Commissioner Corcoran while others have seemed reluctant to, to engage in that fight? It's a really good question. I think this is something we see every once in a while. Usually, you know, every couple of years, the legislature passes a law that school boards take offense to. And and we kind of see this dance over, is somebody going to sue? Who's going to sue? You know, I don't cover Alachua closely enough to, to really know what's going on there. Although I think it's really interesting to see a small district like that, because, um, you know, of course, they don't have the same kind of resources for litigation and, and this sort of thing that you'd see in a Broward or a Miami-Dade. As far as Broward is concerned, you know, after the Broward School Board um, voted last week again to mandate masks, um, despite the fact that at that point, you know, the rules and the executive order had already come out. So they were they were voting to mandate masks, knowing what the potential consequences could be or, you know, what the threats were from the state. And they basically just said, like, this is a moral question, like we're concerned about the health and safety of children and our employees and like we're not willing to take any chances with that and the um commissioner richard corcoran responded with a letter which is a letter that he also sent to alachua um basically saying you know it's it's of grave concern to us that you haven't complied and you don't seem to be planning to comply you know you have to comply by this day and this time or you know we could potentially uh, withhold funding for the superintendent's salary and the school board members' salaries. Broward responded and said, we have 37,000 students with disabilities and medical, severe medical conditions who, uh, you know, are immunocompromised in some cases, who could be at real risk of getting sick. And, you know, we've been seeing, even though, you know, Overall, the risk to children to get very sick and die is still low. We have been seeing an increase in childhood hospitalizations. So, you know, that's what they said in the letter back. Like we, And and also they pointed out that they have been named as a plaintiff in a lawsuit um, along those same lines. There's a federal lawsuit uh, that's working its way through um, specifically from parents of students with disabilities or medical conditions who are basically making the argument that if you don't mandate masks, 
you're taking away my child's opportunity to have an education at all because it's not safe for my child to go into a school if everyone's not wearing masks. Um, so that's basically what Broward said. And, you know, I think part of this whole thing is kind of calling the governor's bluff and the commissioner's bluff to find out, like, do they really have the power to do what they're doing here? Um, you know, I think there are some compelling arguments that they don't. Beyond school boards and parents, where are we seeing uh, opposition to uh, to the governor's stance on masks? Um, I think it's a it's kind of predictable in a lot of ways. You know, um, politically, you're kind of seeing that split of Democrats being more you know against DeSantis in this decision. A lot of Republicans being um, supportive of it. You know, DeSantis has said over and over, you know, this should be a parents' choice. He has raised some arguments or some concerns about masks and whether they're effective, um, which experts would disagree with. Um, of course, the American Academy of Pediatrics and uh, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have both said we need to have universal masking. And actually, there's been a lot of pushback from the medical community in general. Um, doctors from all over the state kind of banding together to say to the governor, you need to take this more seriously in general. Hospitals are overwhelmed. And, you know, we need to have mandatory masks in schools so that we can protect children and also not contribute to the continuing surge that, you know, the hospitals are dealing with because the more people get sick, the more those resources are strained. We're already a week into the school year here in the Tampa Bay region and in other parts of the state. Uh, we're seeing reports of thousands of, of kids in quarantine, staff in quarantine, COVID cases in schools. As those numbers add up, do you think that the governor and the education commissioner could could change their position on this issue? I really don't see them changing their position. It's been such a battle that I think um, Governor DeSantis has been proud to fight. And, you know, he's taken a very strong stance, and I just don't see him um, backing off from that. And, you know, as far as the numbers that you mentioned, I think those are a little bit difficult to discern sometimes because, you know, I saw a lot of news coverage last week about hundreds of cases just two days into the school year. And if you think about the fact that we know how this works, if there were hundreds of cases two days in, it's because hundreds of people showed up already sick, right? It's like not to suggest that that spread is happening in schools. I mean, it's important either way, because the point is, when you have so much community transmission, of course, that's going to be entering schools. But there was community transmission happening last year, too. And, you know, in the districts that had mandatory masks, you know, the, the leaders would argue it's safe to be in school, everyone's masked, there's social distancing. And I think that's another big difference this year because last year so many students were participating in these virtual programs that now don't exist or are not as accessible as they were and so you're going to have a lot more kids in classrooms and just having you know not having the ability to socially distance could potentially make a difference um so we'll see how things continue i think the quarantining question is another question entirely because one of the things that the state board of education commissioner corcoran governor DeSantis, has also been saying is that uh, quarantines need to be more surgical i.e like more let's target the specific people who need to be targeted and not cast the net too too wide 
because otherwise you end up with like hundreds of people sitting home for two weeks at a time. And of course, so many parents know how dis- disruptive that was uh, last school year. And if that's just going to continue or, or worse in the school year, because, you know, the Delta variant is causing more infections, I wouldn't be surprised if we see the state getting more aggressive in telling districts, you can't quarantine this many students at the, at the same time or whatever. Like you're not quarantining a whole classroom. You should only quarantine two or three students or, or whatever it is. And, and for shorter quarantines too. I think the state will push for shorter quarantines. You touched on this a little bit earlier. This fight kind of fits into this bigger issue of local governments in Florida, particularly local governments controlled by Democrats making decisions on certain issues, whether it's limiting um, cruise ships in Key West or localities banning plastic straws. Uh, And then the state government controlled by Republicans coming in and basically overruling or preempting those decisions. How does the mask fight kind of fit into that bigger issue of uh, the state government preempting decisions made by local government. Well, it seems like you're giving me a great opportunity to plug WLRN's podcast, Tallahassee Takeover, which deals with these issues. And we absolutely have a, a, an episode upcoming on school reopening and masks and all the, those fights in Florida. Um, but this fits into that bigger picture uh, I, perfectly, I think. I mean, I think the the pandemic sort of accelerated something that was already happening in terms of the shift of power, not only from local school boards to the state, but also from public schools to um, privately operated charter schools and private private schools, religious schools. Um, as the state legislature has over the years been passing more and more laws that direct more funding toward um, vouchers, which are for, you know, tax funded scholarships, in some cases tax-funded scholarships for private schools. Um, I'm sure you know the one of the things the state board did recently was allow students to apply for what's called the HOPE scholarship, which was a, a voucher that was designed to um, basically help kids who've been bullied um, find an escape route of from their school uh, where they're being bullied and go to a private school instead. And in this case, under a new rule that was passed by the State Board of Education, um, students could say they could claim, quote, COVID-19 harassment if they feel as if they're being harassed by the policies uh, or the enforcement of the policies of a school district in terms of masks and whatnot. So, um, you know, that is also in the background here that that there's been this continuing push over years to um, send more money and, and ultimately more students into privately run schools. So the state constitution says that locally elected school boards have the power to operate, control, and supervise the schools in their districts. And there are many instances in recent years where school boards have argued that the state legislature has infringed upon those constitutional, that constitutional authority. And this is one of those cases. I mean, the, the central question really in these lawsuits um, is, does the state even have the power to do this because the Constitution expressly gives school boards the decision to do this? What the state does have power over is the money, and that's what they're trying to do is, you know, say we'll withhold this funding if you don't do what we say. Um, and the school boards are fighting that. So we'll see, you know, if I guess if a judge sides with school boards and says the school boards are the ones in the position to make these, this decision, that's going to 
have a really big effect, I think, on education policy going forward in Florida because it's going to create a precedent that allows school boards to like more easily challenge these kinds of laws in the future or these kinds of rules in the future. Um, Because I feel like there have been a handful of cases in recent years where school boards were just like, we don't really want to have to go through the whole process of fighting this, of going to court. And so then, you know, if they just fall into line because that's what the governor says, you know, this is what we want you to do, then, you know, they're not challenging it. They're sort of upholding the idea that the governor does have the power to do this. And if they challenge it and a court says, no, the governor doesn't have the power to do this, then that could change a lot of things going forward. So we'll see. And the same in the opposite scenario, if the court sides with DeSantis and Corcoran, then I think that kind of paves the way for the legislature and for the executive branch to continue or even accelerate passing these laws that do drain power away from local school boards. So this could be like the fight to decide this question. That's Jessica Bakeman, reporter at WLRN in Miami. We've got a link to her podcast at WUSFnews.org. This is Florida Matters, and our conversation continues in just a moment. You're listening to Florida Matters on WUSF 89.7. I'm Bradley George. Today we're talking about how Florida state government sometimes preempts decisions made by local officials. Local control is enshrined in the state constitution, according to Florida State University law professor Sarah Swan. Municipalities shall have governmental, corporate, and proprietary powers to enable them to conduct municipal government, perform municipal functions, and render municipal services, and may exercise power for municipal purposes except as otherwise provided by law. And that otherwise provided by law is where the state is doing its work right now. And we're going to, uh, I think, reach the point where we have to decide, um, is there a point where that otherwise provided by law category is really just destroying that broad branch of power that comes before it? I spoke with Swan via video call about the history of preemption in Florida. We, we wanted to talk to you about this, this fight that's playing out over the state and local school districts with regards to uh, mask mandates. Just to kind of start our conversation here, what does state law, what does the Florida Constitution say about who has power over decisions like this? What, what is the law and what does the Constitution say about that? Well, so one interesting starting point is this is the United States of America, right? So states are really the fundamental building block of our democracy, and they are one of our most important constitutional units, uh, and they have a much larger role in the federal constitutional scheme um, than cities do. And so states actually don't need to get their power from anywhere. They have it as if they have what we call plenary authority. And so when we look at state constitutions, those state constitutions are actually limits on state power as opposed to grants on it. And that's different from something like a local government where local governments have to get their power from somewhere. And so they get their power uh, often from state constitutions in the form of home rule. So how do we see that play out here in Florida? 
Uh, so in Florida, what we are seeing right now is we are seeing, well, we have a situation in Florida where we have a strong home rule tradition and a strong value of local government. Um, and we're starting to see that even though we have home rule enshrined in our state constitution, uh, where we have a specific um, article that gives local governments power to make laws that affect their localities and to engage in the kind of self-governance, we're seeing the state claw that back across many contexts, one of which is this mask mandate issue. You mentioned that uh, that clawback, and as you say, we're seeing that play out in a lot of different ways. If you're talking about, you know, there have been local governments that have tried to ban plastic straws and, and plastic utensils. We saw a fight play out earlier this year in Key West over uh, banning certain cruise ships of certain sizes from, from coming into the port there. How did this fight kind of start out? Is this a uniquely Floridian kind of power struggle that we see? Or, or are we seeing states and local governments all around the country kind of reckoning with these, these same issues? We are seeing it all around the country and we have always seen it, right? So what states are doing when they claw back that city power is they're engaging in what we call preemption. And preemption happens whenever a higher level of government says to a lower level of government, you can't do something. So we're going to restrain or we're going to eliminate your the authority we usually give you over certain fields. And so preemption has happened as long as there have been states and cities, uh, but it hasn't always had the same uh, political tenor that it has, and it hasn't always had the same intensity that it currently has. So we're seeing it change both in quantity, uh, in terms of just the amount of um, clawbacks that are happening, the amount of times that states are, are trying to take back um, those powers that cities have. And we're also seeing it change in terms of quality, um, where before when a state wanted to take back a power it's given to local government, it would just say sort of simply, we're, we're, we're going to take that power back. And that would be sort of the end of that law. Um, but now what we're seeing is what we call punitive preemption, where it says we're going to take the state will say we're going to not only take that law back, we're also going to punish you if you come anywhere near regulating in this field again. Uh, so we're going to fine you as a local government um, and also potentially as individual local officials. We're going to deny you state funds. We're going to make it really painful for you if you try to even step a toe into the possibility of exercising authority in that area. Does the state government have the power and the legal wherewithal to do that, or is it just threats? And the reason I ask that is that we've seen a little bit of a changing in the rhetoric from the state with regards to some of some of the ultimatums that they've given local school districts that have imposed mask mandates, where they were saying, we're going to hold your withhold some of your funding, but we're going and said, well, we're going to depend on you to withhold that funding. Yes. So we have seen um, in the Florida context, the governor come out with a very aggressive initial stance on a couple of fronts and then walk that back a little bit. So, for example, um, initially, there was this threat that he was going to cut the salaries um, of certain school board officials 
if they engaged in this mask uh, mandate process. Uh, now he said he doesn't actually have the legal authority to do that. He can just sort of cut funding generally, but he can't actually you know, specify that so-and-so members' salary must be cut. Um, and he's also walked back that it, I, I believe that it might now be possible for school districts to issue a mandate, a mask mandate, as long as it has this opt-out provision where a parent can send in a form um, to say that their child will not be masking, uh, which does sort of defeat the whole point of having a mask mandate, uh, but is a is a different a different comment on him on this from him on the situation than we were seeing before. The legality of of these mask mandates uh, is being contested as we speak. So there's been a lawsuit filed by some concerned parents uh, who are alleging that this ban on mandates is uh, 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 a violation of the uh, American Disabilities Act. Um, and that is sort of playing out in the courts right now. Uh, and it remains to be seen uh, what will happen with it. But it's sort of a day by day, uh, new things are happening, new filings are being made on it. And we should mention here that other states that this fight is playing out in, in other states as well that have kind of taken this this strong stance on mask mandates. I wonder, given the fact that there are so many lawsuits in so many places that this is being challenged, could this be an issue that ends up before the U.S. Supreme Court? Uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure procedurally what's going on in all of those cases. And it's just, it's just really hard to say what will happen at all right now. It's sort of one thing where you're, you're, you know, literally day by day, it's changing. And so in Texas, we see, you know, one court say one thing, the next day, a different Texas court says a different thing, then an appellate court weighs in on it all. Um, and it's really, it's just so volatile. Uh, it's difficult to make any kind of uh, reasonable predictions about where this is all going to land. Well, going back to this bigger issue of of preemption and clawbacks in Florida, given kind of the way that this fight is playing out right now over masks and given the intensity of it, how do you see this this kind of struggle going forward? I mean, is it going to get to the point where you're going to see the state government kind of be more activist all the time in terms of clawing back decisions made by county school boards, county commissions, city councils, et cetera. This is really the question, I think. Uh, is there a line at which the state is just gutting so much local government power um, that it is going to offend that uh, state constitutional clause that we have that grants that home rule? Uh, so the idea when home rule occurred was that uh, it was sort of honoring this already existing long tradition in Florida of, of valuing the importance of self-government and local government in particular. Uh, and so that's enshrined in our state constitution now in Article 8, uh, but it's subject to laws of the state. So it's subject to when the state says, uh, we, we don't actually want you doing, doing anything. But the idea was that this municipal power would be pretty broad and the states would use that preemption tool in a pretty narrow set of circumstances. So it, it sort of wasn't envisioned that this constant gutting would be occurring. And so the question that will probably end up before the courts at some point is, is there a line um, where you've just gutted it so much that there, there really is no home rule? Like you've just 
you've destroyed the concept of home rule through this constant preemption. And I think that's um, that's something that we are going to have to grapple with because unless we get a turnover in uh, state leadership, it doesn't look like within the current dynamics that we're seeing um, with this, the typical dynamic that we're seeing this heightened use of preemption arise in is these red states and blue cities. And it, it is happening more and more as opposed to decreasing. And so I would, unless something changes, I would not expect to see states stop using preemption. I would see them continue to use preemption until some kind of um, limit is imposed. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. Sarah Swan is a professor at Florida State University's College of Law. And that's our show for this week. Donora Prevost is our producer. I'm Bradley George. Thanks for listening to Florida Matters. Hope you'll join us again next week.